mine for quite a while. And it was just save our boys. And we talked about some of these issues that we are facing at every turn of our boys not becoming men, or at least not becoming godly men. And, and the struggles that, that are almost overwhelming in regards to our young men. And, and it got lots of positive feedback about that, lots of thoughts and interesting things that were said, observations. But, but after most of that discussion, there was a common thought, and that, and that thought was this. What about our girls, right? What about our girls? And to be quite honest, to a great degree, very separate issues in my mind. Uh, and it, it may mean that we don't have certain problems. Or I know that they're not the, the, the same problems that boys have. It may also mean that, that we do a little bit better job of addressing the issue of spirituality amongst our young ladies than we do with our boys. But all that being said, it's a great question. What, what do we do to save our girls? Not, not to save their lives physically, but to save their lives spiritually. How do we help our young ladies grow up from, from, from these cute little girls with pigtails that just have a smile everywhere that they go? How do we help them become a woman of God? You remember, we, we hear Proverbs 31 uh, quite often as it talks about the value of a virtuous woman. Her value is, is far beyond rubies, right? But, but not just any woman, a virtuous woman. That is the goal. That is the goal for, for, for these girls sitting up here on this front row and, and, and for Ella sitting out there with her sucker and, and, and for, for, I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? That one day, one day Marley is not this cute tween, you know, that's, a, that's an in-between tween. I just like that word, right? But that one day they grow up. And they start making choices on their own. What will they be? For all the things that we can say about what they will be, we want them to be a virtuous woman. 2004, there was a little girl that came into my life and into our family. Can I tell you, I was terrified. I didn't know what to do with this thing. Right? And we, I didn't have, I didn't have, I didn't have sisters. I, I didn't spend any, I mean, Shelly's the first girl that would spend any time around me, all right? That's why I married her. But the, she's just not going to look at me. But, but, the, but this idea, I, I didn't have any experience. And what I found was this little girl that has brought more joy into my life and into our family's life than I could ever expect. But you all know what has happened. This little girl that brings and continues to bring so much joy into my life, she grows up. And things begin to change. And there's this realization, brother, things are going to change a whole lot faster than I'm expecting. Right? I mean, you're going to turn around twice and this little girl is going to be waving goodbye. Going to live her own life. How do we judge success in that moment? I can tell you that success is that living your life and going to heaven. That comes from a virtuous woman. 
How do we go from little baby girl to woman of God? And we talk about saving them. Unfortunately, because we are all far too aware of examples of sweet little girls. Girls that we held in our hands. Girls that you have taught in your Bible classes. Girls that you have carried on youth trips. That something happened. Something happened and the transition was never made. That they grew physically, but they never grew spiritually. They never became a virtuous woman. The goal is to help them in that transition. So how do we do that? Well, I want to suggest three things, or three things that we can save our girls from. And, and, and I hope that these things are helpful. I, think that, I hope that you will listen. We will not go in depth into the role of womanhood. Uh, at least I, that's not my purpose here this morning. But my, my, uh, there are many things I'm going to assume. But, but I want to start off with this. We need to save our girls from marginalization. Now, I know it's a big word, right? And I looked and I looked and I thought and I thought and I tried to come up with a better word, like it would go better in a sermon. But, but it's just the best word that I could come up with to describe what I'm trying to get at. To save our girls from a sense of marginalization. I fear at times, I fear at times that our young girls have gotten the impression that there is something inferior with being a girl. Or that in some ways, they're not as valuable as a boy. And I fear, I fear that those things at times even come from the church. I know that that's how people outside the church would look at the church. Is that a true statement? When we start talking about the roles of women in the church and in worship, and as we have had our worship this morning, we have been led by men. There have been no women that have led us. And so people would look, at, would look at us and they would say, do you have a problem with women? Do you think that women are somehow inferior? We, we have seen societies, we, we, we have seen societies that, that, that have gone to this point of, we, we think that abortion is an ugly and a terrible thing. It is. Can I tell you another reality in our world that just makes it even more ugly if, if you could do such a thing? Is that in many parts of the world there, there are selective abortions where, where they kill their babies because, because they are female? You know that goes on in the world. I don't want my daughter to ever feel marginalized. I can't even say it. Marginalized. Some of this may have come from a failing to understand and to appreciate the distinctive roles that, men, that God has given to men and to women. You look at a verse like 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, and I've preached on this, okay? It's a whole sermon, so, so go with me. But just let, let Paul very plainly say what he says. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So there is this standard that a woman is not to teach or to have authority over a man. I know that's not politically correct, but, but that's, according to God's revelation, biblically correct. That's the standard. 
right? That's the reason that I'm preaching instead of, instead of my wife preaching. has nothing to do with intrinsic value, right? Has, has nothing to do with ability, has everything to do with God said, this is the way that I'm setting up the home, this is the way that I'm setting up the church, not to teach or to have authority over a man. And if you want to read on, a reminder that these principles, these principles are not based in culture. These principles are not based in how 2019, 2020, United States of America sees these things. No, they're based in creation itself. They're based in the creation order. They're based in, in, in the sinfulness of, of, Eve, of Eve in the garden. All of that is true. But our culture looks at that and says, well, then you're saying that a woman is not as valuable as a man. You, you hear that in our culture. We struggle with this idea that anytime somebody says that you can't or shouldn't do something, that somehow you're making a comment, a comment on, their, on their value. Well, the gospel is the most liberating thing and, and that acknowledges the value of all men, men and women, Jews and Greeks, males and females, slave and free. We understand that. We ought to understand that. But yet we live in this world where nobody's going to tell me what to do. That somehow if someone is telling us that we should or should not be doing something, that, that, that somehow that means that we're inferior. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that at all. It didn't, it didn't even mean that, if you want to go to the ultimate example, when the Son of God found Himself submissive to the will of the Father. It didn't mean that He was less of God. It meant that He chose to be submissive for a purpose to bring glory to God. It is that submission that goes beyond the male-female issue. It stands at the heart of all of Christianity. And if we don't know how to be submissive people, then, then we're going to struggle in our walk with Christ. All of that being said, how do we deal with this sense of marginalization? Because, because sometimes I fear that we have looked at what the Bible says about what a woman is not to do, and we've missed what a woman is to be. We, we have un, unintentionally at times, I fear, and some of this is based on conversations that I've had with different people, but we have, we, we have turned the role of a woman in the church into, into little more than someone whose role is to make sure that we have good food at the potluck. I'm all for having good food at the potluck. And I'm grateful for our ladies who make sure that that happens. Right? Nobody would come to a potluck if I was cooking. But that's just a side note. But the biblical role of women, the biblical role of women goes far beyond making food for a potluck. We, we could spend the entire lesson talking about this, but, but just from, from the standpoint of the New Testament, when you open up the book of Matthew and, and you see this, this significant thing in the genealogy of Christ that, that, that would not have been acknowledged in that culture, in any other context, but you see women... You see women being named as people who had great importance in the very lineage of Christ, from Tamar to Ruth to Mary herself. The, the very fact that, that Mary is chosen. Paul would make, would make the observation about Jesus in Galatians chapter 4 that He was born of a woman, a very special woman, a very faithful woman. 
All throughout his ministry, we see Jesus not just getting together with the men to talk about the Word of God. I've seen, I've seen a lot of people that do that, but that's not what you saw Jesus doing. You saw Jesus, to, to the shock and the astonishment of his disciples, meeting together with not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. In John 4 and verse 27, one of those great stereotypes. Deacon read for us from Luke chapter 8 and verse 3, where we read about the ministry of Jesus and how he went from city unto city, teaching and preaching. But did you notice at the end of the scripture reading what it said? One of the ways that he was able to do this, we, we, we read about Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who contributing to their support out of their private means. I mean, it's singled out in the Bible that one of the reasons that Jesus was able to do what he did, because there were a lot of godly women who were sacrificial with their possessions. My observation, this is West, this is not Bible, but that sounds about right, that many times women can be far more generous than men can be. We come to the end of Jesus' life when his disciples have run away. But right there in John chapter 19, standing at the cross, who was there? When everybody else ran away out of fear, when everyone else ran away there at the cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. We see women referred to, singled out by Paul in, in Philippians chapter two, chapter 4 and verse 2. Eodia and Synecdoche, who we, who, we, who we see them being called out for some of the conflict that was going on there, but don't miss the point why he's talking about that. I asked you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. He's saying these women had a key role in the cause of the gospel. The very nature of the, of, of, the new, of the new covenant of that New Testament church, Paul would write about, or excuse me, Peter would preach about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 18. As he, as he reads the words from Joel chapter 2, the prophecies, that in those days even my bond servants, both men and women, I will pour out in those, those days, I will pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. Even in Acts 21 and verse 19, where we read about Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, right? One of, those, one of those deacons. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were also prophetesses. We see, we see one of the greatest preachers that will impact the first century, Apollos. And who is it that helps Paulus become someone who is not preaching an outdated gospel, but is preaching the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ? It's Priscilla, along with her husband. You don't see one without the other. We could go on and on. We could go back into the Old Testament. We could go deeper in the New Testament. But the point that I'm trying to make as we, as we look at this very, very short list here is that women had a whole lot more to do with the first century church than just making food for the potluck. Women played an important role and impacting the world and impacting the church with the gospel of Christ. If we're going to save our girls, if I'm going to save my girl, I want my daughter to hear those things. I want her to hear those things. Yes, to understand what Paul says, that a woman is not to teach or have authority over a man, I got it, that's pretty clear. 
But that doesn't mean that a woman doesn't have a very special place in the church, and we need to acknowledge that and talk about that. It is almost as if when you think about theology, a, a theology as we talk about in our, in our building blocks class, we, we've been talking about the use of the instrument and how there is no authority for the use of the instrument in our worship. And one of the things that we've said is it's almost that idea that we want to avoid, the idea that we could have a theology that tells us it is wrong to use an instrument, but at the same time a theology that makes people sit in a pew and not sing. What, what good does it do you to not use an instrument if you sit there like a, like a bump on a log not singing praise to God? That's bad theology. It's the same thing when it comes to Women in the church. I know why people have drifted to one side or the other, but if we're going to save our girls, we have to have a biblical understanding. I want my daughter to hear those things. I think that God wants her to know those things. There is a codependence. Even within the unique roles between men and women, there is a codependence between men and women. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 11, in the context of talking about the covering, right? But he would say in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 11, however, in the Lord there is neither woman independent of man, nor is there man independent of woman. We need to understand those things. Not a reflection on intrinsic value, not a reflection on ability, not a reflection on potential to perform, just about reflecting the will of God. If we're going to save our girls, we're going to have to save them from marginalization. I hope that you'll have some conversations about what that means. Have some conversations with your sons and your daughters about, about how, do we, how do we acknowledge the limits? How do we acknowledge the roles that God has placed us in? How do we acknowledge those things? And at the same time, how do we allow people to truly serve? Number two, if we're going to save our girls, we need to save them from sexualization. Now, when I wrote this slide for the first time, I wrote, we need to save them from sexuality. That would be an, a bad point to make. We, we don't need to save our girls from sexuality. Matter of fact, I, I believe we could use some work saving them for sexuality. Sexuality is a gift that comes from God whether it's talking about our boys or our girls, it only becomes a curse when it goes outside of the bonds, outside of the bounds that God has placed it in. Maybe the best verse I could think of to reflect that is what, is what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13 and verse 4 when he says marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. It's like this two-sided coin, Right? Don't think you're going to take sexuality outside of, God's, outside of God's intent. God intends it to be a blessing. You want to take it outside? You want to take it outside of marriage? You're going to create a curse. So we don't want to save our daughters from sexuality. We want to prepare them for that. But we do want to save them from sexualization. What do we mean by that? Well, what we mean by that is the reality that we live in today. It's the sexualization of women and only seeing women as sexual objects that goes on almost at every turn. 
Our culture says that, that when we remove morality, it will, it will lead to, the, to the, the liberating of women. That's crazy. That's the only word I have for that. Because when we, when we remove when we remove morality, when we remove God, can I tell you who suffers? Women suffer. Women become the objects of men. Sometimes people talk about Christianity and the limits that Christianity places upon men and women and those, and those very distinct roles, but, but I, can I tell you that anywhere throughout the history of the world that true, biblical, New Testament Christianity has gone, it has led to the liberation of women. You look all across our world at places where Christianity has died out, at places where Christianity has been shut out, and what you have found is the marginalization and the sexualization of women. People that have been somebody's little girl, and now they are just eye candy for some dirty man to look at. That's the world that we live in. This hyper-sexualized culture that's led us to, well, we, we talk about the, the Me Too movement. Do we understand that it's our daughters and our granddaughters who, will, who are growing up in that, who are trying to be Christians in that environment? I, I, thought, about, I thought about music, about what it means to be a singer. Just go ahead and, and look at the, at the, the I don't know, whoever, you, whoever the top, 10 female singers are. Okay? Just, just look them up. And, here's, and you can do a Google search on this, right? Maybe this will probably show up on my covenant eyes this week because I did some searching. It was quick. But, but you just look them up and you know what you're going to find? Sex, sexualized women. I don't care how good they sing. That they, that, that they may be, they may be the, the, world's, the world's greatest singers. I, I don't know. But I can tell you that their bodies are, going to, are on full display for the whole world to see, and that's how they sell it. Now, you may find some exceptions to that. I'm telling you, that's 9 out of 10. That's the world we live in. Where because they are female, because they are female, that sexual part of their life becomes, well, it becomes a marketing tool. Now, if they couldn't sing, it would just be a marketing tool as they walk down the street, or for the way that, that a man would think that they would treat them. I, I, we have got to help our daughters understand that they are more than just a sexual being. That life revolves around more than that. Yes, they are a sexual being, and that's another thing for another time. We need to prepare them for that. But I'm telling you, this world where we're losing a lot of our young ladies over this very issue, because they can't process these things because they're looking for acceptance. And the only way that they know how to get acceptance is, is through sexuality. The older I get, the more this becomes apparent to me. That I don't even think it's apparent to, 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 our, to, our, to our young ladies, but, but the older you get, you begin, to see, you begin to see a young girl who's trying too hard. You ever seen that? They're trying too hard, but, but it's, because, it's because they believe, I, I can get some attention through this. I, I, I can get some, some connection through this. I've said it so many times. How many of our young ladies who have lost their soul just so they can have a man? Too many. Too many. Our identity 
It's not in our sexuality. Our identity is in Christ. I've got to understand that. Paul would say in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now we can say that about anyone, but think in particular how powerful it is for a young lady to understand my identity is in Christ. I will not compromise on these things. Not because I don't have flesh. I won't compromise because of who my Savior is. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above. Paul would write to Timothy. He says, I, I, want, I want you, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Now, I know that in the context modesty, in the context of modesty, he's talking about putting on extra things to attract attention to oneself, which, which, is, which is sinful, right? I mean, you know, for, for me just to, to bling out my hand so that you'll, everybody else will say, oh, aren't you something special? That, that's what he's saying there. But, but the opposite of that is also true, to, to take clothes off to draw attention to oneself. That's not appropriate. It's not appropriate if our daughters are going to make a claim unto godliness. That's a hard conversation, isn't it? But if we're going to save our girls, guess what, moms? Guess what, dads? We're going to have to have those conversations. Sometimes with our, with, with our, with our daughters who don't even know what they're doing. They think they know, but they don't even know what they're doing. We're going to have to have those conversations that nobody wants to have. We live in South Georgia. I mean, it was 30 degrees last night. It never gets that cold here. I went two winters without putting on a coat living here. Okay? Which is, it's great. Doesn't kill the gnats too well. But, it, but it's, it's great weather. But does it give us some unique problems about the display of our bodies? Come on, everybody shake your head up and down. Okay? Absolutely it does. Absolutely. we got to have some conversations about the clothes that one wears. Because they're hard conversations. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, you know, well, this many inches here. I, I, that, that, that's going to be a losing battle. But I can tell you, fellas, daddies, everybody in this room, you know, if you'll let yourself be honest, we need to have some conversations, okay, about, about the type of swimwear that we're wearing. We need to have some conversations about, about the, the things that we're wearing in, 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 in different contexts. Do we not? Because every man in this room knows that when a man looks at a woman in a swimsuit, especially if it's a two-piece swimsuit, he is not thinking. That's a really nice suit. Is he? No, he is not. Now, now, ladies, you may be thinking, that is not what any man is thinking. I'm not going to tell you what he's thinking, because you know what he's thinking. But he's not just thinking that about women. He can be thinking that about your daughter, about your granddaughter. Do you think that happens? 
I know it does because every time you've thought it, it's been about somebody else's daughter and somebody else's granddaughter. God made us that way, right? I don't understand lust and all of, all of those things, but to understand we've got to help our daughters in this process. To make a claim to godliness. To save our daughters, to free them from a, from a sense of from a sense of being over-sexualized and from a sense of being marginalized. Thirdly and finally, if we're going to save our daughters, if, if we're going to help our little girls become virtuous women, almost the opposite extreme, we're going to have to save them from feminism. And, and I looked for a different word, but, but, but I think it's probably a pretty descriptive word of what I'm trying to get at here. The, the idea that there is no distinction between the sexes. I guess that would be a textbook definition for what feminism is, is that there is no distinction. We all know that there is a distinction. We know what the Bible says that, that there's a distinction. But, but many people have said there is no distinction. Even taking this to the extreme that, that women ought to be above men, that, that's, that's, that's where feminism eventually will, will lead us. I want, we need our daughters to understand this very true reality that God has created men and women to be different. God created us to be different from each other and He gave us roles that are intended to complement each other. Sometimes we talk about complementarianism, right? It's kind of the opposite, but it just means I believe that men and women are different and it's those differences that make us stronger. It's those differences wherein we really reflect the honor of God. Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. I want you to turn there because I want you to see something as we close that's, that's beyond what, what's going to be on the screen. But, but here in Titus chapter 2, Paul is going to write, and he, he writes about the young men and the old men and the young women and the older women. But listen to what he says. Listen to what he says here in Titus chapter 2 about what the older women are to be telling or helping the younger women with. Titus 2 verses 4 and 5. That they may admonish, they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Can I tell you that there is incredible honor and joy? in everything that Paul just, just wrote off there. There is incredible honor and joy in being someone who truly loves your husband. In being someone who truly loves your children. There is honor and joy in discreetness. There is honor and joy in keeping one's home. We need to be teaching that to our children. We need to be teaching that to our daughters. But for some reason, these verses make us very uncomfortable. Do they? Do they? When, we, when we talk about Titus 2, can, can you just kind of feel it? Well, I wonder what someone's going to think about that. I wonder, I wonder how that's going to come off, right? Do I? I mean, there's one word in there. He even says to be homemakers. 
And I almost changed my whole, my whole translation that I was using just so, just so I wouldn't say homemakers, it'd say keepers of the home. Okay? I mean, I'm just trying to, oh, that's just going to come across in United States of America 2019, right? How is that going to come across? Let it come across how it comes across. This is the Word of God. And God says, this, this is my design. And when we don't live this way, do you know what happens? God is blasphemed. We need to understand that. Now, fellas, I, I, we don't amen much, but this might be an opportunity. Okay? It's coming up, so I want you to pay attention. I want us to understand that there is, I don't believe, any profession in the world that requires more work or greater sacrifice on a daily basis than motherhood. You guys fail. Okay? I'm going to say, I'm going to give you one more chance, guys. I don't know that there's any profession in this world that requires greater sacrifice or work on a daily basis than motherhood. Yeah. Good. That's a little bit better. That's not just something you say on Mother's Day. Is it? Do we teach that to our daughters? If I want them to truly be a Titus II woman, do I teach that to my daughter? That there is honor in caring for your home. There is honor in loving your husband and in loving your children. But yet for some reason we have so much tension around that verse. He's not saying, ladies, that you can't have a job. He's not saying that you can't work outside the home. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I think we could probably put up a lot of examples just because a woman, just because a woman does stay at home doesn't mean that she's fulfilling Titus 2. Is that a fair statement? Just because a woman does stay at home doesn't mean that she's fulfilling Titus 2. But I'm going to tell you the reality that when you make choices about your life, when you fill your lives with things, it makes it harder. We don't do well to not acknowledge that. I sat, I sat with a group of godly men this week. I think everyone here would agree that they are godly men. And I want to share with you part of our conversation. We talked about the difficulty upon our family and our spiritual lives brought upon by our wives working outside of the home. All we were trying to say is, it's harder because of that. Not saying it's sinful. My wife works outside of the home, guys. If you're wondering where I'm going with this, okay? My wife is probably one of the most educated women in this room. Works a full-time job. But I'm telling you that it makes, it makes Titus chapter 2 more difficult. We need to be aware of that in our conversations one of the things I think we talked about, and maybe we didn't, we talked about the boys, but, but how so often our culture is, is very career-minded for, for our young ladies. And there's nothing wrong with having a career, okay? But the, and so many times our boys, they don't have a clue what they want to do. But our girls, almost always, they're very driven. Almost the, the opposite problem that we said we're having with the boys, right? Talk to a girl, what are you going to do? Boom, I'm going, to, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, 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 no. Right? Right? I mean, I'm wishing our boys had a little bit more of that. That was a couple of weeks ago. But as we have that conversation, what do you plan on doing with your future? Well, I'm planning on being a doctor. I'm, I'm planning on being a, a lawyer. 
Okay, wonderful, great. Is it, is it ever appropriate for us to ask this question? Have you ever thought about, about, have you ever thought about what your role is going to be in caring for your family and your home? I think that's an important question for us to ask, for us to talk about. Because they're going to be challenged by these things. And not only are they going to be challenged, their faith is going to be challenged by these things. That's why Paul said, Titus, you need to get the older women to talk to the younger women about these things. That's part of how we're going to save our girls Save them from, well, save them from marginalization. Save them from sexualization. Save them from, from feminism. Sometimes, sometimes we get this idea that there's something inferior about men. Go ahead, talk to some ladies. Talk to some of our young girls at times about how they view men. Our world does not view men very well. And one of the things that we need to do is to remind our daughters that there are some good men in this world. That they know some good men. That they know some godly men. Help them to see their fathers. Help them to see their grandfathers. Help them to see other men at church. That's not just a lesson for the boys. That's a lesson for our young ladies too. Yeah, don't settle on, you know, on lazy, ungodly, won't even pray with you boy. But don't believe that, that a godly man doesn't exist. What are we putting into their minds as we try to save them and keep them from compromising? I told you, I told you Titus 2, you, you stay there. As we talk about these things, and I know, it, I mean, man, I opened a can of worms and a half this morning. Did you mean this? Did you mean... Well, I, you come and you talk to me about it, okay? Better yet... Talk to your daughters about it. Talk to your granddaughters about it. I want us to have this conversation instead of just letting it happen. When we just let it happen, that's when people are lost. But here in Titus chapter 2, Paul has been going through all of these different roles and older men, younger men, older women, younger, y y younger women, uh, even talking about uh, slaves and masters and all these different relationships that we have. All in this context that we, we pulled out verses 4 and 5 about what to say to the younger women. But I want you to slide down. I want you to slide down to, to, chap, to chapter 2 and verse 11. Like, what, what difference does this make? Like, I don't know how I think about this. And I mean, that's kind of personal. And that's, I mean, this makes me uncomfortable. What difference does it make? Is that just Wes getting up there talking and, and saying what he wants to say? Verse 11. 4. Everything I've been talking about is about a reason. It's not just a list. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for His good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. These things are about 
the gospel. These things are about the grace of God that has appeared and brought salvation to all men. Because God is trying to show us a better way. God is trying to show us holiness and righteousness. We think we know it. We think we can direct our own steps, but we're warned at every step. There is a way that seems right to man. It's a way that leads to death. Christ has come to show us a better way and to save us from our own way to bring salvation to all men. I hope that our young ladies were listening this morning. I hope that our young men were listening this morning as they think about the type of woman that they want to marry one day. I hope that our parents were listening. I hope that our grandparents were listening. But everything that we talk about, it's not just about that one group. It's about the gospel and us being in pursuit of the one who has pursued us. I want to reflect the very glory and image of Christ in everything that I do. I want to reflect it in my conversion. If you're not in Christ, if you've never been immersed for the remission of your sins, I want you to follow Him today. I want to reflect it in my worship. I want to reflect it as I praise Him. I want to reflect it in the type of husband I am, in the type of son that I am, in the type of employee I am, in the type of boss that I am, in the type of everything that I am. I want to reflect Christ. He says, here's how you do it. Friends, if you have a need, if you have a need to come and walk with Christ, maybe to repent, maybe to ask God for forgiveness, maybe just to ask Him for strength, for a challenge that is just so far beyond you, you come this morning as we stand and as we sing.